for the persecution that he has done over Christians and over the world and her greed and lust for power. Uh, the imagery that is given tends to be quite abhorrent, uh, very opulent, and also the condemnation very large. But I'd like to point out to you that the temptations that Babylon encounters and falls into are the very temptations that Jesus also has to confront in the desert. Let me first look at it from the point of Jesus. Jesus' first temptation in uh, chapter 4 Uh, Chapter 4, verse 4 says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I know when we go through Sunday school, we tell our children, Hey children, the word of God is powerful. Every time you use the word of God, the devil will run away. And yes, in a way, it is true. But Jesus is also showing a larger spiritual truth behind this. You see, if Jesus had come and said, let me turn all the stones in this desert in order to feed all the poor in this city or in this nation for every single part of the world. And yes, he did have power to do this because later on he fed 5,000 men and 3,000 men, uh, not including their women and children. So he had the power to uh, provide food and provision out of nothing. So why is it that he didn't do it at this point in time? His answer is given as, man shall not live on bread alone. And if you look at that as a symbol and you look past its meaning, man shall not live on that which is material. Man shall not live on that that which is materially effective. Many of us order our life in a very practical, pragmatic way. We want to do what is effective. We want to do what is practical. But at times, the compromise of doing what is practical and pragmatic may not be what God wants us to do. It is more practical and pragmatic to be like everybody else, to offer the silent bribe under the table in order to get away without wasting all your time uh, sorting out traffic summonses and any other issues. It would seem more practical and pragmatic, especially if your job depends on it. But Jesus says... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Therefore, Jesus chose to do what the will of God determines. The word of God is the expressed will of God seen in the form of Jesus Christ, how he lived his life. And so Jesus chose not the most practical way, which is to fulfill all the needs of the world, but he did it in accordance to how God would want to do it. Friends, in this period of Lent, would you want to take time to reflect on the situations where you may possibly be running around like headless chickens, trying to meet every single need in the world, but not discerning what God is telling you, because there are times when you are not called to solve the whole world's problems. Even the Messiah did not solve all these human problems. He did not go about feeding and uh, feeding the whole world. Neither did he sort out all the economic problems and all the medical problems of the entire world. He only did what God had put him there to do. Man shall not live on bread alone, 
man lives on the spiritual, not the material. The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And true, the devil is so brilliant and smart that he can also quote scripture verbatim to Jesus. And this is a text that's taken out from the Psalms. But Jesus responds, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now this highest point in the temple uh, is most visible from all parts of the city. And therefore, if Jesus were to have done this particular miracle, throwing himself off the highest point, it's almost like going to Komta and throwing yourself off and having everybody witness it and then you fly off like Superman and land safely. Everyone's going to come to you and say, what a marvellous thing that you did. You must be supernatural and power endued. Therefore, we will make you our leader and you will determine all things for us. He could have, but he didn't. And his answer is a point to scripture to us, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This happened in the period of the Exodus when the people of Israel tested the Lord. They kept pushing the boundaries. They kept wanting to do the thing that they wanted to do, the popular thing, the easy way. So again, in this period of Lent, will you consider are there things that you are doing in your daily life that tends towards popularity and the testing of what God wants you to do? Because he always tells you, serve in quietness. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give without expectation of recompense. But how much more of our life is spent in terms of broadcasting, this is what I'm doing. And nowadays, uh, you know, it used to be don't be like the hypocrite praying in all the corners. Uh, recently, someone said, don't be like the hypocrite who posts up on Facebook and social media all the good things that you are doing. These are ways in which we are falling into the trap of popularity, the one that seems to be visible and likable for everyone. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The third temptation that Jesus was facing was the temptation to have power and control. We have to remember that the devil was given authority in order to wreak his control and his lies throughout the world. It was a test that God had allowed him in order to do this. And rightfully, he showed Jesus all the kingdoms that he had under his power. The book of Revelation reminds us the same. The devil is out and behind every powerful and malevolent and evil system lies the father of all lies, the devil, who is all-powerful and controls all these things. Jesus instead said, I will not take the way of the powerful. And in fact, we see in all actions that Jesus did, although he had all power, he had the ability to command cohorts of angels to come to his rescue, nonetheless, he said, not my will, 
but your will be done. We recognize that this is a challenge that we have in our season of reflection and contemplation. Do we take the way of power and control where, where we have the ability to force our way through, to dictate something to happen in accordance to our wishes, we ignore everyone else, and in particular, we ignore the way of the Lord. Will we take the path of surrender? Will we take the path of powerlessness? Where Jesus himself, standing before Pilate, says, you would have no power over me unless this power was given to you from above. What times do we have all right, but we are to turn away and say, your will be done, Lord. Hey friends, this I want to contrast now with Matthew, uh, sorry, with Revelation chapter 18. Now in Revelation chapter 18, I'm just covering the first few verses, uh, 1 to 20. I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Now this depiction of this great authority is to show that he had greater authority than all these other creatures underneath because this, uh, this authority was given to him by God. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great. Now you find this as a quotation that's taken from the Old Testament. And in particular, it is from Isaiah uh, 21 verse 9. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. And to the Hebrew mind, Babylon has always been a representative of every kingdom, power and principality that is opposed to God but is also an instrument that God has used in the same way that God used Babylon to punish his people and send them into exile. This Babylon is representative for all the governments and kingdoms and powers and systems that have opposed God. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. Now, you might be uh, thinking in terms of a very, uh, almost like a zoo. <laughs> but there, if you actually look back to Isaiah, this is the result of the exile. When they are forced to leave the exile, their cities become desolate, and every unclean animal, the hyenas, the coyotes, all these uh, uh, wild animals then populate their places. It becomes pretty much a cursed place. All the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. Now, again, when we think, uh, we're not talking about physical adultery here, but adultery in the definition of adultery being the unfaithfulness of one who has committed loyalty to another. And so all these uh, adulterous people have basically forsaken their first love to God and instead gone into idolatry or pursued idols of this world. Kings of, the world uh, kings of the earth committed adultery with her. Merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Material effectiveness. Material effectiveness. Popularity. 
power and control. The three temptations that Jesus confronted, these kings, these merchants, these seafarers, effectively succumbed to and pretty much did the same. Here's the warning that the angel gives to those to escape Babylon's judgment. Then I heard another voice from heaven, verse 4, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. Now, in case you're wondering, is this particularly a city that we need to think about, in which case people should get out from New York or should get out from London or should get out from all the big cities? No. Figuratively, we're talking about Babylon as a representative symbol of that which is opposed, a union of people, not a geographical location. So come out of a people. Do not be associated with the evil systems and evil machinations of people that you seek to do evil and use lies in order to mislead others so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues for her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Now these are the same words uh, that the prophets of old have used against so many cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt, Tyre, Sidon, the Philistines, they are the same words that are used about how their sins are piled up to heaven and their stench is so great that God cannot ignore it. Give back to her as she has been given, pay her back double for what she has done, pour her a double portion for own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen, I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning and famine she will consume by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. In all of these temptations, we see the example of Christ who willingly went to his death. But we also see at the end of time, in the end of judgment, judgment will finally come and all these attempts uh, to waylay Jesus and his people are eventually repaid. There's a threefold woe over Babylon, uh, verse 9. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her share the luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep, mourn over her, terrified at the torment, they will stand far off and cry, woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. Now, you see this phrase repeated again and again and again. Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. Again, not to be read literally in the sense of 60 minutes. In 60 minutes, there will be destruction. But that the time is very short. The moment in which the destruction comes, comes very swiftly, given the length of time that it took for the city to build itself up. It repeats itself again and again. But... I would like you, when you read this, you will notice that the kings, the merchants, and the sea captains, they all stand afar off. None of them attempt to save the city. None of them basically say, I want to save you. In fact, what they are lamenting is the fact that they are losing their profits and their precious stuff. 
Their lamentation is over the things that they are going to lose. Verse 14, for example, says, They will say, The fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things, verse 15, and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out. In one hour, verse 17, in one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Friends, I'm trying to bring these two together again. In the pursuit of what Jesus pursued, he said, I want to pursue the will of God. All these things of this earth are secondary, temporary. It is dust. And the imposition of the ashes reminds us from dust you came to dust you shall return. The other time when you will hear this, apart from during the, uh, during the uh, Ash Wednesday service, is during funeral uh, at a committal. One of the last words in which I say before we commit the body, whether to the ground or to the crematorium or to, to wherever it is, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from dust you came to dust you shall return. It is thus a reminder to us that in contrast between what Christ does and what the Babylonian whore does, are the pursuit of two different things. In Jesus, we see the pursuit of that which is spiritual and eternal, the Word of God, the will of God. That remains and continues on and is what we bear into the kingdom of God. All these other things, the gold, the precious jewels, and you will notice there's a, there's a listing. It's not an exhaustive listing, but it's a listing of that which people valued at that time gold and silver, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Verse 17. You see, all these listings, we are told at the end of time, all of this will pass away. In fact, in chapter 20, uh, 21, 22, we are told that a new world comes down, a new heaven and a new earth a new Jerusalem. And when the Jerusalem is described, it says the streets are made out of gold. Imagine if you've been trying to save all the gold and you try and bring it into heaven and someone says, why are you bringing the dirt of heaven in? <laughs> it's already there. Are we pursuing the wrong things? So brothers and sisters, as we go through this uh, imposition of the ashes and also the beginning of the period of 40 days, uh, it's 40 weekdays plus 6 Sundays, so a total of 46 uh, days until the time of Easter, I would invite you to uh, fill yourself with the Word of God because that's what Jesus does to respond to the devil, to be consistent in your reading. But within your reading, to ask yourself these questions, what is my Babylon? What is the Babylon that tempts me? What is the power that I seek, the popularity that I crave for, and the material effectiveness that drives me? I say this again. Huh? What is the material effectiveness? What materiality are we pursuing that goes against uh, the Word of God? 
not my bread, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is the material that we are chasing, that we are ignoring the spiritual? What is the popularity that we are seeking instead of the quiet servanthood? And what is the power that we are craving for? The power and, and might I say also control. The control that makes us want to be so dominant and uh, controlling that we trap people and uh, do not allow them room to make any movement. What is the power and control that you seek for as opposed to the surrender into doing God's will? Will you take time in these 40 days to wrestle with this? And on a side note, I have always uh, looked forward to the period of Easter as a period when I put an additional effort in to try and break any bad habits that I might have. But more importantly, actually not so much focusing on the bad habit, but I work towards trying to implement a good habit. So what's a good habit you want to inculcate in these 40 days? Might I suggest, well, some of us, it might be a good thing to do a digital fast. I say a digital fast means, uh, you know, uh, don't use your handphone so much. <laughs> I know some people say almost impossible to not use the phone, but maybe use your phone for a more limited period of time or maybe fast from social media. Uh, I think somehow or other our young ones find this harder now. But this whole purpose of uh, denying the self is not so that you, you know, it's almost like self-flagellation or torturing yourself for no reasons. No, the actual reason why people actually set aside this time is so that they may focus themselves more towards what God is saying. So for those who decided I'm skipping a meal, what you're doing also is you are gaining an hour for your time. Not for you to basically uh, look at other other cooking shows that are going on. You're not eating, but you're looking at all the shows. No, but essentially to spend time in that one hour that you spared to focus on what is God saying to you about these matters. And will you find a rhythm? Uh, because apparently it takes 40 days in order to break any habits, but also form very good habits. Will you take this moment? It's almost like a New Year, New Year type of situation, except it's for 40 days. And will you take it there? Shall we pray? Lord, in your mercy, will you teach us, Lord, to value the spiritual aspect over the material? And help us not overlook the importance of your word and your will in us rather than the pragmatic and the practical. Teach us also, Lord, to take the path of humility and service rather than the path of popularity and acclaim. Teach us, O Lord, to consider the path of surrender and service than that of power and control over others, Lord. 
and teach us above all, Lord, to see the frailty of our lives and the shortness of this period of time when one day we will stand before you and need to give an accounting to you. May we be found faithful, not for our own sakes, Lord, but through Christ who has done it all for us. We ask this and pray all this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.